This is an AMI podcast. Before we get started, I want to acknowledge that this podcast was produced and hosted on the unceded ancestral and traditional lands of the Squamish, the Musqueam, and the Tsleil-Waututh First Nations. I feel truly honored to be able to live and to work and to play on their lands. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Accessing Art with Amy. I'm your host, Amy Amanti. My pronouns are she, hers. You don't have to be a kid to like animation. I certainly do. It often allows us to explore a world all onto its own, or, I don't know, maybe escape reality for a while, or maybe just even to stretch and use our imaginations. There is absolutely no denying that there is a certain magic to be found in this art form. Chatting with us today from her home in Vancouver is Erica Miles, who identifies as an autistic animator. Hi, my name is Erica Miles. She, her pronouns. I am a white settler. I reside in Vancouver, Canada, and I am an autistic animator. An autistic animator. Welcome, Erica. So excited to have you on Accessing Art with Amy. So right off the bat, you share with us that you are autistic. I wonder if you can share with folks what that feels like for you, because I understand that it's different for everybody. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's definitely a different thing for each person. It was a late realization in my life. I was 30 when I was diagnosed officially. I've been autistic my entire life, but I went a lot of my life not understanding why I was different from most people. I found it really helpful to have the diagnosis and just the realization of why I'm different. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's just sort of the way that my brain is wired is slightly different from most people. So it gives me a bit of a different view and perspective of the world. And it sort of affects me and the way I process things. And yeah, it sort of is an all encompassing in who I am, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, that that totally makes sense. I'm somebody who identifies as neurodivergent myself, not autistic, mm-hmm. um, but uh, but understand that idea of the brain sort of processing things differently and then not understanding maybe, you know, without having that air quotes diagnosis as you grow up, yeah. you're like, why am I not understanding this the way they're understanding this? Or, you know, why is it taking, why am I processing this in a different way? And that can really have a profound impact on a young person's life. What was that like for you? Um, It was pretty huge. (laughs) It was like it answered a lot of questions that I'd had for my whole life. And a lot of things started to make sense and click. Um, And I found it really helpful to sort of be able to, to view my life and the way that I sort of see things through that lens Mm -hmm. Um, and then I could make changes in sort of the way that I do things in my life to make it easier for myself and, and to not struggle as much or be as hard on myself when I have those struggles. Um, because that's something that has been (laughs) very thorough throughout my whole life. Yeah. Being able to give yourself the space to just do what you need to do in that moment. Yeah. That's a, a real gracious thing on the soul. Once you learn how to do that. (laughs) Very much so. Yes. So let's combine the world of autism with the world of animation. I'm curious about how you got involved in animation. So it's kind of always been something that I wanted to do since I was very young. I saw, I think The Lion King was the first movie I ever saw in a theater. 
mm-hmm. and it sort of just grabbed me. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, yeah, ever since I saw it, I was like, that's what I wanted to do. I wasn't really sure what animation was or what an animator did, but I knew that that's what I wanted to do. And yeah, I just sort of grew up and was always involved in art of different sorts, like drawing, painting, sculpting, all sorts of things. It was always like, I need to make cartoons and and bring things to life. And I think that aspect of it was really exciting to me. And yeah, tied into like the autism thing. I think I was drawn to it also because it's like a very exaggerated form of communication almost. So it was maybe easier for me to understand. And especially like the Disney musicals were what I really loved as a child. And I think because, especially with the musical songs, a lot of like what the characters were feeling was so clear through this, through the musical and also through the expressiveness of the characters. So I think that mm. I really latched on to that as well. Mm, I love that, that idea. Cause I think, you know, again, that's one of the things that we all kind of love about animated musicals in that way. So it's a really, I guess, relatable experience for lots of folks. Erica, are there more than one type of animation and what kind of animation do you do specifically? Yeah, there there are many, <laughs> many types. I started out working in 3D animation and then transitioned into 2D animation. And that's yeah, you're, a bit you're closer. Gonna have to exp- yeah, you're going to have to explain <laughs> yeah. to me what the difference is between those two. <laughs> uh, so, so 3D animation, it's more within a three-dimensional space in the computer. So you're using puppet rigs and posing them. It's There's also stop motion animation, which is using a physical puppet and then just taking one uh, picture for every frame. Uh, right. So 3D is like that, but inside of a computer. And then 2D animation is closer to hand-drawn animation. So it's a lot more flat and graphic. And colorful, or is it often colorful? Yes. Uh, well, I, I guess it depends on the subject matter of the project you're working on. But yes, animation in general is is a lot more exaggerated. It's one of its strengths. So it's usually very colorful and exaggerated and, and can be a little bit more over the top. But it also, yeah, it very much depends on the story you're trying to tell and the performance you're trying to sort of get across. Because you can also get a lot of subtlety in animation as well which is really great I love to draw I love to paint at least I used to I'm not great at it I just I just kind of love this idea (laughs) of like pen to paper and I would would doodle all the time and please I am so not great at it it's and you don't it's amazing (laughs) it's amazing how great how not great I am um but I but what interests me about this whole idea is is that you can draw or animate things that are realistic looking Mm -hmm. or abstract or like creating characters that are, you know, like you could draw a dog or you could draw like a space alien that's coming completely from your, you know, the depths of your imagination. So I'm wondering in, in the types of animation that you do, is is there a home for you? Is there a genre that you like or do you just like do it all? Yeah, I've, I've done a wide variety of different types of animation. I think what I found is my favorite the performance aspect is what I really love about it and the acting. So whenever I get like a juicy performance scene, that's my favorite, um, especially with some some subtlety. Or, of course, if I ever got the chance to do like like an over-the-top musical number, that would be <laughs> the top of my list. Um, 
but yeah, the, the acting is my, definitely my favorite part of it. But yeah, subtle acting, over the top, broad acting, anything like that. And like, are you doing the voices of these characters too? Thankfully, no. <laughs> <laughs> no that's, no interest in dabbling my... into the voiceover? <laughs> not yet. That's probably well, not not my area of strength. <laughs> listen, Erica, I'm a voiceover artist. So if you ever need somebody to animate Perfect. a character for you, you know where to find me. There you uh, go. I, yeah. I think that would be totally fun. Whether we get commissioned to do this or not, we should just create something for fun. Yeah, it'd be great. The kinds of animations that you create is like, again, like, are you doing short movies? Are you doing commercials? Are you doing like, what's the end result of the animation? In my day job, for the most part, I work in television. So yeah, we, we do a lot of episodic shows. I also recently got the chance to work on a short film for a program run through Women in Animation in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was selected as a, uh, in a group of five other women in leadership roles, because that's not a common thing in our industry, sadly, that women are able to sort of advance to those positions in the industry. So the program was great in that it gave us a chance to sort of get some experience in these roles. And we also got to create a film together and work with teams and get some experience and then create a film and premiere at a festival. So yeah, I got the chance to make a short film really recently as well. And that was a really great experience. Yeah, that sounds really, really cool. I I just, uh, I love, I I too am a big, um, I hate to put a plug for Disney, right? But I too am a big (laughs) Disney musical fan and really appreciate all the work that goes in. And, And as you were talking about this idea of 3D animation being like, you take a photo and then you take a photo and then you take a photo and it's like each one is slightly manipulated and yeah. then you run them all together and it looks like something's moving. Is that the same idea with 2D animation? Although you're drawing, so you're drawing like one image at a time. So if you're making a face move, you know, or a smile, you've got to like draw that smile, that, that same character over and over again as the smile grows. Like, how does that work? <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's different for different, types of animation what I normally do for my job still involves like a puppet based system in the computer so we move it sort of frame by frame you can also do that with hand-drawn but yes you would need to sort of adjust it frame by frame to get that performance coming across and then yeah in, in stop motion and 3d it's more manipulating that puppet in either a three-dimensional computer space or a three-dimensional physical space in the real world on like sets that are built. But yeah, it's, it's the slowest form of performance art <laughs> pretty much. I because can only is, imagine. Yes. Very frame by frame. But yeah, it's also, I feel like that works well for my autistic brain because it can take a little longer to process things. So I really get to focus on the details and take my time with it. I'm, I'm just like, I, again, I'm going back to this idea of hand drawing an image. <laughs> and because again, like when you're talking about having the 3D pieces in the computer, the mm-hmm. tweaking of them makes sense, right? Because it's little like, this is, this is how my brain works because I'm not an animator, but it's like when you copy paste a document and you just changed one word in it, right? It's like, cause you got the whole, you don't have to go back and rewrite the whole thing. So I imagine that you could have a character 
and it could be like static from its original pose and then you change it to the next pose and then from that you change it to the next pose you don't have to redraw the whole character you can just focus on one detail yes. of that character that you want to change so that in and of itself is a time changer over the the idea of hand drawing a character over and over and over oh my oh, gosh i can't yeah. even imagine definitely <laughs> do people still do that they do yeah yeah it's oh. definitely an art form and and the people who who do it really love it love and it. i i wish that there was more of it because there is sort of a magic to it because you're bringing literal drawings to life but yeah having those sort of tricks where you only redraw certain parts of a character can definitely save on on your wrists yeah <laughs> and your paper mileage it's it's a lot of work but it's it's definitely something that the people who do it are very passionate about if you wanted to dabble in amateur animation let's say because uh i'm sure you're going to tell me in a moment that you have studied this and you know you're 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 well trained in how to do this but if you're somebody who isn't and you're interested in this kind of genre of art are there places where you know like software you can download from the internet that you can experiment with oh yeah definitely i think a lot of just drawing programs often will have animation sort of plugins or or areas where you can play around with that even if if you have a flip book like a pad of paper you could create an animation through yeah. that um if actually you have, i've seen that on many cartoons where yeah. they actually do that in the cartoon yeah 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 and then even if you have like a, a camera <laughs> that's all you really need and then you could create a puppet out of anything pretty much and just frame by frame and create your own animation that way yeah there are tons of different ways you can do it and yeah lots of resources out there as well if you want to learn more about the different uh types of animation too so i mean you were just telling us that there is a low percentage of women in the industry so you know in terms of of where you studied was that also something that you experienced in in your studying um yeah yeah it's actually thankfully it's getting better in the industry i think yeah in the leadership roles especially it could use a bit more work, but it's getting better. But yeah, definitely in school, in my very first school, I was actually the only female student in my year, but it has definitely gotten better. I, I went to another school afterwards and it was a bit more 50-50 and it got sort of more and more as I went along. So it's definitely getting better, but there's definitely still some some more room for improvement in that area as well. Then have you have you noticed at all that there are other folks with disabilities that are working in animation or definitely I think there aren't as many in sort of visible positions which would be nicer and especially since like learning that I'm neurodivergent I have noticed certain traits in a lot of other people that I work with as well whether they're aware of them or not so I think it's very common especially in creative industries and yeah, I think that if if we had more of them sort of in more visible positions of leadership, I think that would be really helpful, especially because then you're you're treating the people who are working for you in ways that are more supportive to and more accessible to the people that are working on the projects with you, and I think that that's really really important. And like I I don't know, like I I'm always thinking about representation um and and i and i don't know about animation i i uh again i know about like the acting world where oftentimes 
you know, big name A-lister actors get roles that are written for people with disabilities. Um, mm-hmm. I could name a whole bunch of them. They often are either nominated or win Oscars for these roles, yes. but don't identify with a disability <laughs> themselves, right? Like, you know mm-hmm. where I'm going with this. Very so, much so as animators, it's like, I bet you there are still lots of animators and I can think of sort of many cartoons, you know, satirical, maybe adult cartoons that have characters that have disabilities. They're not written by Mm-hmm. anybody with a disability it's so it becomes to me a bit of a a parody or a mockery of the disability experience so do yeah. you think that representation of disability in the industry would be a game changer in that way I absolutely do yeah because yeah I've I've noticed that myself that a lot of the times when characters are written but they're not written by someone coming from that authentic experience um, yeah. they do rely on a lot of stereotypes yeah. And they're often very harmful stereotypes. And it just further sort of perpetuates those stereotypes and doesn't really help the viewing audience sort of get a window into what it's really like to live with with those disabilities. Yeah. So yeah, I feel like if we had more people who actually lived with those disabilities in positions where they could either write for the projects or or even in, in live action perform them. Because mm-hmm. there's an authenticity that comes with that that you don't get if you're just an actor who has maybe studied someone else yeah. with that yeah. disability. Yeah. So I think it's really important to get more voices in there yeah. to get that authentic representation because it's, yeah, it's so, so important for also the people with the same disability or different disabilities to watch that and, and see themselves on screen because... Mm-hmm. In an authentic it's, way. Exactly, yeah. Because, yeah, if they see it in, in an inauthentic way where they're being sort of mocked or parodied, it it's kind of awful. <laughs> it's disheartening, right? It, it takes it your own sort of sense of identity and sense of self away. I mean, it can have the harm of doing that. Um, we would call that a microaggression in some spaces, right? So, Erica, like you just so eloquently shared with us the need for representation in the animation industry. And I'm wondering if you have any thoughts about how we increase that representation. What kind of strategies do we use to bring people into the fold? Yeah, I think it's it's very important to bring people in. It's hard to give like a overall answer because disabilities are very wide ranging and and how mm-hmm. yeah they affect people and but i think having an environment that where it's safe to bring things up is a huge huge help so that people feel safe to bring up any accommodations that they might need because a lot of times that's very stigmatized and can be very difficult to do so that's sort of like a very baseline first step Type thing to it's do a fundamental, really right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get the fundamentals down first and then build. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I can only speak to my own personal experiences, but creating like just a work environment that is helpful sensory wise, I find mm-hmm. really helpful. And yeah, just, just sort of making sure that it's a very welcoming environment so from people from all different walks of life. And yeah, very accommodating of of different um, needs that people might have and not having any sort of shame or stigma and sort of bringing things up or asking for help. Yeah, I think those are some great tips. And and one of the things too that I, I often, you know, talk to people about in the work that I do um, in accessibility is around hiring practices and 
what the barriers are for some folks to even get an interview in the space, right? Um, recognizing the barrier that the inter interview process even has uh, to the experience. And so maybe just even having a more inclusive hiring practice is a way of being more inclusive and, and opening doors for folks with disabilities who may have felt intimidated by that process. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, yeah, getting people in the door can be very difficult when you're like, when you're even open to hiring people with disabilities. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think making that first step of, of the interview and even the application process more accessible is a huge help with that. And what would you think, Eric, and I'm just throwing this into the space, but what would you think about like mentorship opportunities? You know, if somebody's interested in, you know, being an animator and learning what that's like, and maybe doesn't have um, the same access to the education or the funding to, for the education to come in at sort of an entry level position, because it's, they're still in, at the table in the organization, you know, as, as part of these discussions. What do you think about that idea? Yeah, I think mentorship is hugely, hugely helpful. For myself, personally, I've benefited a lot from mentorship. Um, so I think having programs in place, um, even, yeah, for specifically people with disabilities, if they're interested in roles and getting a peek inside what those roles might entail, I think would be really helpful. And it makes it a lot less scary, I think, when you have mm -hmm. sort of a, like a safe entrance into a role. Yeah, I was really lucky to be a part of a program run through Women in Animation, which had a really huge mentorship aspect to it. So I got to have sort of a chance to to jump into the role of animation director, which is a role I'd never had before. And uh, there was a lot of mentorship with it. And I think that that was a huge help for me in sort of stepping into that new role and getting used to those responsibilities in a, a really safe and supportive environment. So I think that mentorship is a huge, huge thing that could be helpful for sure. I love it when we can think about how allies can use their their privilege to help support community members, right? It's like, you know, somebody has an upper management position and has been in the industry a long time. How can they leverage their privilege to bring somebody else in and teach them the ropes or the foundations or for a place where they can grow from in their careers? I think that's really, really a cool concept and something we should be looking at in, from all industry perspectives, I would think. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely agree that it would be, yeah, hugely helpful. So as we finish this conversation, just in time, I hear our sound cue that says we're about to play the mixed bag, Erica. So are you ready for oh, your boy. three random questions? <laughs> I think I might be. You think you might be? Okay, here you go. <laughs> Yeah, I, I always say to folks, you got 25 seconds, but yeah, we play with that. Uh, but the first question <laughs> is, what's your favorite song of the moment? Could be your favorite song of all time, whatever, whatever you like. Yeah, yeah it's a tough one for me because I feel like it changes often. And yeah. I often get certain songs stuck in my head and they just play on a loop. Um, <laughs> so what's so on the loop say, right now? <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, Encanto came out recently and I think it's a song that's been stuck in a lot of people's heads. Um, but yeah, we don't talk about Bruno. I wouldn't say it's my favorite song, but it's definitely the one that's been sort of <laughs> going on a loop for a very long time. But yeah, lots of Disney songs from the animated films are on a, a regular rotation in my brain. Love me some Disney musicals. And in fact, if I'm feeling in the mood, I'll just walk around and, and belt out something from a from a Disney musical. So <laughs> I will do the There's same a nice thing. <laughs> nostalgia there. Yeah, I love it. You and I should get together and do a duet. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> and you can animate the characters for our voices. Yeah. Um, just my very next, slowly. <laughs> that's, that's right. My next question for you is the household chore that you absolutely hate the most. Hate the most. Yeah. I think it would probably be like, I don't love cleaning, but I love the end results. But I think yeah. the the specific cleaning task that I dislike the most would probably be bathrooms, cleaning bathrooms. Really? For yeah. me, it's vacuuming. I just, I hate vacuuming. I find it kind of satisfying when it sucks up all of the little pieces. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't vacuuming. mind vacuuming. And I hate dusting. As a, a blind person, dusting for me is always challenging because I never I never really see it. So it's like I forget it's there. Mm-hmm. And then somebody will be in my space and be like, um, there's a layer of dust here that needs to be cleaned. <laughs> I shouldn't have admitted yeah. that on this program, but there you go. <laughs> yeah, it's probably more of a, a problem for them than it is for you. So That's right. That's right. As long as I'm not sneezing, it's all good. If it passes exactly. the sneeze test, we're good. Um, and the last question I've got for you, Erica, is, do you have a hobby that you just can't live without? Oh, I feel like my hobby is just acquiring more hobbies. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I do a lot of like different forms of like art and different mediums and crafting different things. Mm-hmm. So I and I, I feel like I just latch onto something and then learn as much about it as I can. And then I just do that with so many different types of art and projects thank you Erica it's been so great getting to know you and learning a little about animation and your your artistic practice I guess we'll call that I wonder if folks want to connect with you if you have any contact information that you'd like to leave for them yeah for sure you can find me on Instagram at Erica Annam just before warn there's a lot of cat content there <laughs> for me. and then I also have a website at www.ericaannam.com that's E-R-I-C-A-A-N-I-M.com Awesome. Thanks so much for joining us on Accessing Art with Amy. Yeah, thank you. Before we let you go, I want to share with you this quote of the day by Norman McLaren. Animation is not the art of drawings that move, but the art of movements that are drawn. Thanks for listening to Accessing Art with Amy. This podcast is produced by me, Amy Amanti, technical production by Jacob Schumansky and Sam Robinson. The manager of AMI-audio is Andy Frank. If you'd like to reach out to the show with your feedback, you can email us at feedback at ami.ca or by telephone at 1-866-509-4545. Thanks again to my guest today, Erica Miles. Keep exploring. See you next time. Join us weekly for The Pulse with host Joita Gupta, who brings us closer to issues impacting the disability community across Canada. Watch The Pulse on YouTube or listen wherever you download your AMI podcasts.